Good evening and welcome to our uh, first of two summer lectures or discussion series here at St. Peter's. Uh, this is actually a discussion a year, a year in the making because we hoped to get Kate here last fall and her schedule and our schedules just couldn't come together. So we get to have her uh, this evening, which is wonderful. And to, again, talk about really one of the most um, pressing issues here in South County is the understanding that 13% is the last statistic I saw of our population here in South County lives at or below the poverty level. So that's still fairly accurate. And that when we talk about at or below the poverty level, uh, that's not saying much in terms of what they have for resources. 13% of that population that's based on national levels, which means here in South County, which is far more expensive means that puts them at even further financial disadvantages for food insecurity, housing insecurity, et cetera. And so we're glad to have Kate here, who has done terrific, I just think, multifunctional work through the Johnny Cake Center in reaching all sorts of ways of addressing poverty here in South County. So for people who don't know Kate because of Johnny Cake Center, but don't really know much about her, let me read a bit of her bio. Kate was hired to lead the Johnny Cake Center for Hope in September of 2015. Eight years. I came here. Oh. oh. Um, prior to this, she served as the executive director of the statewide advocacy organization, the Economic Progress Institute, for 11 years. Kate is responsible for the overall management of the center, which provides basic needs, resources, and hope to 2,000 South County residents each year. Kate has served on the board of directors for the, of the Rhode Island Community Food Bank, Welcome House of South County, and Thunder Mist Health Center. She has taught social policy and case management at the Rhode Island College School of Social Work and worked for the state's Medicaid programs Right Share and Right Care. Kate was named the Murray Family Prize winner for her commitment to helping Rhode Islanders in need in 2022. She received a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Sociology from the University of Rhode Island and a Master's of Social Work degree from Rhode Island College. She lives in South Kingstown with her husband, Aaron, and sons, Gabe and Julian. And one more tidbit to ask, add to that is she is, shall we say, um, one of the proud um, prize students of Dr. Leo Carroll, who was hoping to be here tonight, oh. but speaks of great fondness of his star pupil. So we welcome you here this evening. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, thank you all for being here. I was on my way from the Dunes Club. They were having a fundraiser. They have a marketplace, and part of the proceeds were going to the Johnny Cake, so I was there. And on my ride over, I talked to my sister briefly, and I said, I'm going to a church to give a talk. And she said, what church is letting you in, and who wants to listen to you talk? <laughs> and so I said, I don't really know, but hopefully it will be okay. And I think, um, to Craig's point, I would much rather have a discussion than a lecture. Nobody, I don't want to listen to myself talk. Um, so I really wanted to just be able to have a conversation with folks. I'm sure you have questions about what the Johnny Cake Center is experiencing. And I want to start by um, saying that I thank you all. I know that the market is such an important resource in Narragansett. We refer people here all the time. And I'm sure like you all, we are seeing a huge uptick in the number of people that are coming to us for help. We're serving twice as many people as we did at this time last year. That's not to say that it's the most people we've ever served since I've been at the Johnny Cake. I mean, we, what I've come to learn is expect the unexpected. You just don't know what's going to cause um, different outcomes and unanticipated um, problems that are going to arise. And so um, I thank you all for what you do. And it's really helpful to have a community where we've got places, uh, multiple places that people can go for help. So um, I'll just do a super quick overview of the Johnny Cake Center. And I just, you know, I want to have a conversation and I want to hear what your concerns are, what your um, challenges are, and um, not have this, again, just be me talking. So the Johnny Cake Center is going to celebrate its 50th anniversary uh, next year, which is fitting because I just had my 50th birthday, so we're kind of running parallel. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's for a long time was a food pantry located in Peacedale and a thrift store. And, um, you know, it was started back in the late 70s or the mid-70s, 74, excuse me, 
when um, there was a recession and people were struggling and a group of folks came together, a lot of churchgoers, um, social workers and others came together and said, you know, we need to find a way to be able to provide people with their basic needs. And they formed the Johnny Cake Center. Uh, we were co-birthed, I, I say we were separated at birth with the Johnny Cake Center for Westerly. We were found somewhere in the middle and then split off and now we have the Peacedale Johnny Cake Center and the Westerly Johnny Cake Center and boy do people get mad when they think they're coming to the Peacedale Johnny Cake Center and end up in Westerly with their GPS and that happens a lot. Um, so we, um, when I came in 2015, you know, I, we recognized with my coworker, my deputy director, Jen Kruger, who has been there, she came a month before I did, that the needs were much greater than a, what we could provide through a food pantry and through a thrift store. Um, and so we slowly began pushing the envelope a little bit with our board and saying, you know, people come to us and they, they're going to be evicted because they got hurt at work and were out for two weeks and now they can't pay their rent and now they're behind. And if we just had $500 that we could give them, we could plug that problem and solve it and they could move on. And so the board said, okay, you know, we'll give you $5,000 uh, to be able to do that and provide emergency assistance to people. Last year we gave out $90,000 in emergency assistance. I mean, the requests just come as rapidly as we give out the funds. Um, we also realized, you know, you can't really just, we, people need a little bit of guidance, people need some help, so we started a coaching program, and my colleague Jen really learned how to help people, you know, set goals and try to move towards those goals, and we hired a community health worker to help families um, get back on their feet and do all kinds of other, you know, things that would make them more successful. So we've really tried to move towards um, helping people in a more robust way, and that really took off in the last few years where we said, you know what? The housing crisis in South County, we've got to do something about that. The kids and the families that we serve, they need somewhere to go and something to do and they're doing, you know, they have such stark educational disparities in South Kingstown. I haven't looked at Narragansett, but between kids who are low income, kids who live in public housing, um, and we looked at economic security and said there's much more that we can do here. So we have a whole big list of new opportunities and programs that we are providing people um, because we really felt like we can't just give out food, we have to try to help folks succeed in life. And so I can talk more about any of those issues. Um, we do just serve the towns of Narragansett, South Kingstown, Jamestown, and Block Island for our core services. Um, we do have people that come over on the ferry a couple times a month and load up and go back on the ferry um, when the pandemic hit, we took a lot of food over to Black Island. We did three trips and set up a pop-up market, and people came through, and we got back on the boat, and we left, and we served over 200 people every time we went out there. Um, we probably serve probably 25% of the 2,000 people a year that we serve are from Narragansett, and the other 75% are from South Kingstown. And we see all kinds of folks. We have people that are working. Um, you know, they're working two or three jobs, but they're just nowhere near enough to pay what it costs. Seniors that have a disability who are on a fixed income that isn't nearly enough for them to stay here. And we have lots of kids and lots of seniors that we serve. Um, and nobody wants to leave South County. And I think one of the hardest things um, is that the largest uh, racially diverse group that we serve are the Native American households. So about one in five of the households we serve are Native American. And if you look statistically, they have the starkest disparities in terms of childhood poverty, socioeconomic status, health. Um, they're all off the charts. And what's tragic is seeing those families have to leave this area because of the constantly. So we're really trying to uh, create some new opportunities for them to be able to stay here stay in their homeland and um, provide some wraparound services. So I just, I'm just going to stop there because I can't really stand to hear myself talk for, for long periods of time. And I just want to ask you all, what, what would you like to hear um, me touch on or address? Um, I think we, I'm assuming my market friends over here would agree with me that the needs are, are way up again with the rising cost of food and people trying to keep a roof overhead. 
the advertisements that we see pop up for housing, we do a lot of housing search for people. We spend lots of time trying to find people new places to live because landlords are serving them with a notice that says, be out in 30 days, I am selling this house that you've lived in for 20 years and paid $800 a month so that, you know, because it's such a hot market and I can have URI kids live here and rent it in the summer. Um, you know, I'm sure you all know, a three bedroom in South Kingstown right now is over $3,000 a month, easy. We've seen them as much as five. Um, so it's, it's, it's tragic uh, for lots and lots of folks. But what, what, would you, what would you like to hear me talk about, um, if, if I can? Yes. You had three staff. Do you have any other staff? Oh, yeah. We have about 16 staff members. Yes. Yes. Most, a lot of part-timers who kind of specialize in certain things. Yes. Lots of volunteers. Yes. We have probably 150 volunteers. Um, so that they're a huge, huge part of what we do. You know, since my controversial decision to close the thrift store, which we can talk about some other down the road, um, that was a big opportunity for volunteers. So now most of them are in the food pantry. Uh, we have a lot of them right now, so it's hard to bring in lots of new folks. But we're going to have a lot of other opportunities coming up with tutoring and some youth activities. We have a free tax clinic that if anybody wants to become a certified tax preparer, we can help you do that. Um, so we're kind of feeling our way, uh, but the food pantry has always been the biggest, um, the biggest opportunity. I'm sure the same here. We have volunteers who not only serve our guests at the market by backpacking their groceries and, you know, helping them find things, but we do deliveries. We do about 60 deliveries a month out to uh, homebound seniors and families. So we have volunteers that come in and pack all those groceries, and we have volunteers that drive them out, and we have volunteers that unpack the trucks. So there are a lot of different opportunities for that. And then if you have a specialized opportunity, a specialized skill, we would try to match you with something that we are um, doing new. We launched an after-school program this spring for first and second graders from Peacedale Elementary, who the school identified as struggling with reading and math. Um, and a woman wrote and said, I'm interested in early education if you have anything like that. And we didn't at the time, but I brought her in and um, she was the retired principal from Rocky Hill School. And she became our after school coordinator and it was like she is the, a rock star. So you just never know what's, you know, and that's why I kind of vet all of our volunteers, uh, candidates, because I, I, I have an eye for trying to figure out who can, who can do what. Um, so. Becky. Yeah, we can talk about what you guys are doing about uh, building and renovating housing in the area. And also, I think at one time you had started a micro-loan program for people to raise their credit scores. Yes. I, is that, I don't know if that's still... Yes, we're about to find out whether it worked or not, which is exciting. I don't... I think it's... I think it worked. So, so in terms of housing, as I said, after about a year after the pandemic, um, the start of it. We just started being, I mean, I would say every other day someone came through our door and said, I just got, I'm getting evicted. And again, these were people who were long standing um, in their places and because the landlords could cash in, they just were pushing people out. No one had renewed a lease. Like they were just month to month for 10 years paying the same $700 that they paid forever. And so we hired a real estate agent um, a, and part-time, and we said, you got to just go, like, knock on doors, talk to landlords, follow the advertisements, figure it out, and we've had some great success with, with that uh, in being an advocate for people who need housing. But at the same time, Welcome House, which is our local homeless shelter in Peacedale, right next door to our new building, had decided they were going to dissolve the organization. And Johnny Cake, they had some rental units right in, around the block in that area. They had four multi-rental properties. So we advocated to acquire those four multi-unit rental buildings. And the Warm Center in Westerly, which is a very well-respected homeless shelter, said, we'll take the shelter, and that's what we did. And so we inherited these four buildings that were not in great shape, 
to say the least. I mean, I, every time I went in one, I was like, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? But, you know, this community is generous, and we brought through two donors and showed them what we had to do and what our vision was, and they immediately donated a million dollars together, but between the two of them. And that allowed us, this spring, we had to move everybody out who'd been there carefully, um, you know, lots of, it, they were homeless folks who would come from all over the state. They had a bedroom in one of these buildings, and, you know, it w wasn't very effective to, for this model. And we were able to move them on to other situations that were much more uh, long-term. And we began renovating um, those buildings. We also decided when we moved out of our offices at the Rotary, I don't know if many of you might know that we renovated our, an old schoolhouse in Peacedale, vacated our old building uh, in terms of the offices. We built an apartment up there as well. We said everything, housing, is it's all about housing. So we created a four-bedroom apartment where there's a bathroom, there's a toilet where my desk used to be, which I just find very fitting. Um, we have a four-bedroom, two-bath apartment where we used to meet with people. We have a we renovated a beautiful duplex um, right across from the street from the Oaks uh, near the tennis courts in, um, on Kingstown Road. We created two five-bedroom units there, and we just moved in uh, three families uh, in May, 18 people total into those three units, and they were beautiful. I mean, they're beautiful. We furnished them with um, donations, donations from the hospital. They gave us 40 beds. We were able to use all those. We had people donating things, and we, they were spectacular. And the goal there is to really provide service-enhanced housing. So uh, just to give you a window into what that looks like, our commitment is if you're going to live under our roof, we're going to provide you with everything we think you need to be successful, and really, more importantly, to have your kids be successful in school, because that's just key. If we're going to break the cycle, we have to get to the kids. So. Just in the last three weeks, we had a single mother with five children move in who had been in a domestic violence situation, had been living at the domestic violence shelter for three years in two rooms. And um, we gave her this beautiful apartment. The 18-year-old daughter said to me the day after they moved in, you know, my little sisters haven't slept in their own bed in three years. And last night, everybody got in their own bed. Everybody slept through the night. There was calm in the house. Like it really makes a difference, um, your environment. And uh, that mom has gone on, just in the last three weeks, we have the kids enrolled in swim lessons, the kids enrolled in summer camp. Uh, some of them are going to Camp Fuller this summer, which is a partner that we work with. Mom got her license, mom got a car, got it registered, is back on the road. We got the kids you know, back transported to school. I mean, there's a lot of little things that need to happen. And we just do one thing at a time and move down the line. And now mom's looking for a job. And the 18-year-old graduated from high school because we helped her with her senior project. So that's really what we're all about, um, wrapping around those families in a major, major way. The three other buildings that we inherited, we probably will knock down because they're in such disrepair. They're so not family friendly. We have a thing that's like on the street, like you put your foot out the door and you're on the road and it's four tiny little two bedroom apartments. So we are working towards um, plans to turn those into more units um, and have higher density in those, in those buildings and build new buildings because investing in these old mill houses that they're not like nice old Victorians, they're like, you know, thrown up housing and they're in really rough shape. So that's our, our next endeavor. Um, we'd be going from, I, I forget, I should have, something like 20 bedrooms to 45 bedrooms, if you can imagine it that way, um, in thinking about the, the future. So it's a big project and it'll require quite a bit of money, but we're, we're moving forward with it and we'll try to finance it. And then you had another question, we related to housing Everybody who applies for housing now, good news, the state just made it illegal basically to charge application fees for housing. So when we were trying to find people housing, if you go on Zillow or any of these brokerage systems, whatever they are, you know, realtor.com, 
they charge like $100 a person in the family to apply for housing. There's a complex on Route 108 in Kingstown, in, um, leading up to Kingstown. They just charged us $300 for a family, it's one of our coworkers, to apply for housing. And then they got rejected uh, because of their credit. So this, this notion, uh, I mean, it's the craziest thing. The state just made it illegal to charge application fees. I don't know the details, but that, that starts this weekend, um, which is so important. I mean, imagine you can't even afford to apply, let alone get in. So um, we started a program with Westerly Credit Union where we basically took 10 people and said, we're going to take a loan for you for $500, and we prefer you not take the loan out and spend it. Just use that loan to repay the, the payments. And so it's sitting in your account, and if you just, you are on the books now as having a loan with a bank, and if you just use that money to repay it every month, you can rebuild your credit. And we, we do believe that. We, we, you can't check your credit that often, and we, we haven't forced them to look at it, but the feedback coming in is that people are seeing an improvement, but we'll have a real evaluation done um, in a month when the, they've made their final payment. So we, we try new things. I think that's the nice thing about the Johnny Cake Center is, quite frankly, we don't get much government money at all. Uh, in fact, tomorrow we're submitting a grant to the Department of Education for the biggest amount we've ever even dreamt of to deal with some uh, education issues in South Kingstown. But we get a lot of private money from donors and grants. And if something changes, we just pivot. And we say, we got to work on this now. And that's what happened with the pandemic, the fallout with the housing situation and kids and the mental health and the loss of learning uh, drove us to the decision to close our thrift store, which was very controversial. And I told my husband, we may have to go out of state for a few days while the dust settles on this one. But we felt like, you know, we, we've been talking about needing a place for kids to go, kids who don't feel welcome at the Y and don't feel welcome at the Guild and some of the historic and can't afford to do the sports, can't afford to do all the other things that other kids do. And so we made the decision, been looking for a building for a long time. This one could probably meet that need. The thrift store really wasn't serving the people that we, our mission is geared towards. And so we said, let's, let's use this instead. And today we actually received four bids from contractors to renovate it and install a fire sprinkler system for $80,000. Um, so nothing's easy. People keep saying, why isn't that youth center opened? It's like, well, it has to become uh, accessible for folks. It has to have a fire suppression system. So we're working on it. That was a long-winded answer, Becky, sorry. Yes? No, it's just amazing that how much you're doing with housing. Is that is such an important issue? I didn't realize you were doing all that. Yeah, I know. People say, you have to tell people more about what you're doing. It's like, well, we're too busy doing it. So it's hard to, to, to be constantly talking about it when you're just so focused on getting it done. At the end of the day, we should have 18 affordable housing units uh, when all said and done. But it will take a few more years to get there. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. I would say that by, at the, by the middle of the summer, we'll have a better sense of exactly what we need. And we, I did shut off the application system because I was getting so bombarded with um, requests. And we used to just be able to say, go to the thrift store, go sort through some bags of you know, other people's old clothes. And without that opportunity, um, it's hard to bring people into that building who, unless it's like a regular stint. So a lot of people will write and say, I want to volunteer with my 10-year-old. I want to volunteer, you know, for five hours. And it just doesn't work with our model. I hate to say it, but we're really going to work on trying to figure out how do we plug people in. We're going to need tutors. We're going to need some other um, folks who can help us. So we just have to put our thoughts together, figure out how to, you know, with, with working with kids comes tremendous child safety issues. You know, people will say to me, well, let me, can I just take Sue Stone out and take her for ice cream? And I'm like, no. You know, I mean, we just can't allow things like that to go on. So that's a new space for us, and we're trying to feel our way through. Um, but look for more on that towards 
August, if you will. Uh, we'll make some kind of, like a social media, and I can reach out to the churches. Do you have a particular interest in mind? I could have, depending on what the area of necessity is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. I, I would mind helping with young children learn how to read. Mm -hmm. like that. That, that, if we get this grant, which we won't know till late August, that would be a big opportunity. So stay tuned for that. No. 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 It had dropped drastically. So on the first floor, we have our food pantry, which used to be across the town parking lot, over the bike path. I used to say over the river and through the woods at another building. Uh, people had to go from our, that building that you were referencing where the thrift store was. So if they came to us new, they had to find their way up the stairs to the second floor with somebody and then make their way across the parking lot and over the bike path to a food, separate food pantry. So now all of that is contained under one roof at the uh, old grammar school. So we have a pantry on the first floor where people can come in and actually shop for their food, the grocery cart. It's like a little market. We have our member service offices where people can get help from one of our social service staff. Upstairs, if you haven't been there, we have a beautiful, beautiful community room with a kitchen. So we do cooking classes, we have yoga, we have after school programs. Um, I encourage anybody to come see it. It's really spectacular. And then our administrative offices there as well. So everything's kind of contained back together, which is, I can't say how important that is uh, for the operation, for efficiency and effectiveness. And it's gorgeous inside. It really is. Sue's a professional tour guide. If you want to come and visit, we, people come in all the time. They just walk in. Can I just walk around? So I'm like, okay. And they make their way around the building. Have you been, Becky? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very nice. Yeah. Yes. So it's not transitional. What we've said to people is you can stay here so long as you pay your rent and are a good tenant and don't, you know, destroy the place. Um, as long as your kids are in their educational pathway, right? So once kids start moving out and the size isn't appropriate anymore, that's when we would be starting to work on people leaving. But there is no time limit. Everybody that we've moved in has very young children, so presumably they could stay there for quite some time. Is there availability for that children? So the truth is South Kingstown, I don't know about Narragansett, South Kingstown has way more housing for seniors than that we do for families. If you look at the list of affordable housing, which is about 600 units, um, only 122 of them are for families. The rest, uh, by design, some would say, um, are 55 and older senior housing. So um, I, that's where the capacity is, to be honest. The need, what we saw were the families with, yeah. We had the, a couple of the families that we moved in. We moved in a two-parent family with four young children. They were living in a two-bedroom. I mean, the place was like, oh, you know, just unbelievable. Uh, we had, if you've seen any of our social media, we moved in two grandmothers, grandchildren since they were little. They're now teenagers. And one of the grandmothers had been sleeping on a couch for over 10 years. And so she got her own bed, her own room. Um, the kids, most of the kids got their own room. Two of the girls are doubled up. And um, when, I will tell you, we did a ribbon cutting and she spoke and she hadn't seen her apartment yet um, in its final form. And when she went in there and saw her own bedroom, uh, it was 
there, was, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was really emotional, and she was so grateful. Um, so that's, that's what we've seen the need to be. We, we're trying to figure out how to work more closely together. We have a very good relationship with them. Um, stay tuned. I'm trying to figure out whether we can do some more, some home ownership uh, in Peacedale with them for our members. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that we're working on that. I'm sorry. Do we work with Habitat for Humanity? And they have a great operation, and they've got some new um, units coming online, and we're trying to prepare our members um, for Habitat. It's 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 they've got some strict guidelines. So the credit building that we're doing, they have certain credit scores that they want to see. Like we're trying to get people prepped up for when Habitat has more housing coming down the pike. Yeah, it, I can't believe what credit now impacts. Your work, your house, your car insurance, I mean everything is, is driven by your credit. And it's interesting because people that have good credit you know, probably are more likely to buy a house. So now renters are competing with folks who can't buy a house and have good credit and they're just completely pushed out of the, out of the housing market. It's, it's very tricky. Yes, Bob. Medical and mental health, yeah. So yes, um, certainly with all of our food programs, you know, obviously we're trying to provide nutritious food same way the market is, but we, we just tried a new program. It was very successful by our standards. You know, measuring outcomes and this work is so difficult. Um, but we did a program called Food is Medicine. We partnered with Thunder Mist Health Center and South County Health and the hospital. And we offered people who have diabetes or other chronic health conditions a 10-part series. So every other week they came in. We had nutritionists. We had a nurse. Um, we had the cooks from the hospital. And one day they would do a cooking demonstration and we'd send the person home with all the food that they could remake the meal and they learned about how to not cook with a lot of salt. I don't know what they did in there. I, I just ate the food when they were done cooking it. And then two weeks later they would do more of a support group and an educational piece around it. And we had some people say, and it was very interactive and fun, um, we had people say, I never understood how, anything about diabetes that I have had for 20 years until I came to this program. Or another person said they actually came off their blood pressure medication um, after being enrolled in this. So we are trying things, and we will probably do that again this fall. Um, people really want knowledge, and there aren't, you know, it's, there aren't that many places that kind of just offer a group setting where you can all learn together, and it's fun, and, you know, we would let people shop in our food pantry because it was closed after the class with the nutritionist and they would walk around and they would look at the labels and something that we did in our market that was a big undertaking and we just completed it was we did the swap system, which is, I forget what it stands for, it'll come to me, but it basically we code every single item in the market, red, yellow, or green, red's red, red is red, you know, don't touch the red foods or use, eat a lot of them and then green and yellow and pe so people don't have to think so hard about what are the healthy choices, they can just kind of pull based on the color. Um, in terms of mental health, we haven't gone there. We certainly refer people. I personally drive a 14-year-old girl every week to counseling in Westerly. Just, she's got so many challenges and issues that we found a counselor that she likes and somebody's gotta take her, so I drive her down and we have time to talk and get to know each other. And, but we're not providing that in-house at this point. Thunder Mist does a pretty good job of that. Yeah. What other questions do you have? Yes? I think there was some talk about starting another store someplace else. Not us, but I think, I know, I think some other churches have been talking about it. 
The issue with the thrift store, to be honest, was number one, during the pandemic, it became, it was so hard to manage. We used to shove all of our volunteers literally like in a space like this with all the stuff and they sorted through, if anybody had ever volunteered there, it was like unbelievable. And we couldn't possibly keep them all in that contained area. So we had to clear out a whole part of the store for them to be able to do their work. You know, and then, so we didn't have the furniture. Oh, the furniture is gone. You know, that was the first big thing. And then we had the staff, you know, it was constant fits and starts with, with COVID and people being quarantined, the customers not wanting to follow the rules and the masks and the whole nine yards, the revenue was down. But truthfully, the people that we serve really didn't shop in the store nearly as much as the general population was really using it as kind of a socialization hangout spot, which I get and I would have been happy to keep, but for three years we'd been looking for a place for kids to be able to just go after school and have a safe place and hang out. And we just finally said, we have this building. The store could drive us crazy. You know, Pete, and let me tell you, we threw out 50% of what was dropped off. Uh, it was, for many people, the dump. You know, it, the, the rules weren't followed. You know, I'd go over and the staff, God bless them, they're all so well-intentioned. The people would be in the back, you know, going through the donations. You know, it was just, it was, it was, not the best business model. Um, and so we, we made that decision. And I know a lot of people were upset about that, but I hope they can see for the greater good um, that you know we're gonna do something that will hopefully have a good impact on the kids. But you accepted that the furniture store down, down the street is a furniture. I know, don't talk to me about that one. That was, I know, people loved it. It was lovely, but it just didn't, it, it wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't a money maker. It wasn't a money, and it, yeah, that was, that's, that's for you and I to talk offline about. Other, I think, um, you know, I think one thing to remember, we often hear like, well, there, you know, you, everybody hears, there's no poverty in South County. We don't see what, you know, you have in Providence. And, you know, what we know, we know, because we buy people tents and sleeping bags and portable showers, is that down here, people are in the woods if they're homeless, they're not on the street. So we have lots of people who live behind Old Mountain Field and in other places where they can get away with it. And you know, they just have nowhere else to go. They have jobs down here. Um, we know that public housing, at least in South Kingstown, is very hidden. You, does anybody here even know where public housing is in South Kingstown? We have three relatively large housing uh, complexes, but they are so tucked away that you would never know where they are unless you know where they are. Uh, so we hide it very well. Um, and people double up. I mean, I can't tell you the number of families that we know that have three generations living under one roof because that's the only way that they're gonna be able to stay down here. And people don't wanna move to Providence or Pawtucket. I mean, I hate to say it, they live here their whole lives, it's quiet. We had a meeting the other night. We also have a leadership council, we call it, of local parents and grandparents, who most of whom are living in poverty or low income, who get together periodically and we say, all right, what are the issues, what are the challenges? We brought in our board member, who's the CNO, COO, the chief nursing officer and chief operating officer of the, the South County Health, Anitra Galmore, who's an African-American woman who is just amazing and she came in and said to this group, I'm here for you if you have problems accessing healthcare at our hospital, I wanna hear about it. And they all had a story, you know, she was like, oh God, you know, I opened up the floodgates. But um, where, where, where was I going with this, with the health piece? Sorry, I got off track. Leadership. Le we had our leadership meeting, and I don't know what I was gonna talk about with that either, so I, I got off track. But anyway, um, what did you ask me about? Who, what was the question? Right, they all said, thank you, that every, we went around and said, what's the best thing about living in South County? And they all said, it's quiet, it's peaceful, I don't have to worry about violence the same way I do. Not that we don't have it, um, we definitely do, and especially in those housing developments. You know, I don't wanna have to go back to the city and worry about my kids walking down the street. Um, and I've been here my whole life. So that's, that's the challenge, right? It's, and, and we just see this community flipping very quickly into a place where out-of-town um, residents are buying up 
a lot of the houses and they're empty a big chunk of the year. Um, yes? It's housing. They all, it's always housing, yeah. It's just, even if you've got a roof of some sort over your head, it's not big enough or it's so unaffordable you can't keep up, um, that, that is what every person in that group mentioned. And we can build a few more buildings and add a few more units, but it's, it's not enough. So that is, that is key. Um, the other piece that I might have mentioned is we, South Kingstown uh, has experienced a lot of leadership turnover in its education system. We just lost our fourth superintendent in about five years. And I will tell you, it, in the special ed, and it has had a huge impact on their ability to deliver a quality education. And we have families coming in whose middle schoolers can't read, they have dyslexia, and they were never given the proper instruction. Kids, you know, being uh, suspended in the fifth grade for tickling another student. I mean, not the kids not getting the services that they need. And it's mostly children. I mean, it's, it's across the board, actually, socioeconomic board. But for us, we just see a lot of the families coming in and saying, I need help. We actually hired a local education advocate. We pay her $250 an hour to go in and sit with families on IEP meetings and other uh, very specialized um, dealings with the school department so that they're not getting railroaded. I mean, they have no idea what the schools are saying to them. And it's not all of them, but it's just, there's just been a lot of chaos. And so this advocate goes in and has been able to make some real um, changes for some of these kids, but there's a lot. So we are applying for a grant tomorrow uh, to do some more out of school stuff. And one of the things would be for kids who are chronically absent. And I cannot believe chronic absenteeism in the, the state, the country, our town. It's like, oh my goodness. I don't remember that being a thing when I was growing up. And this is like 40% of the kids at the middle school. I'm making that up, but it's high. Don't come to school 10% of the days. You know, you're, it's like in the, the, the northern part of the state, it's mind blowing. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that we would propose doing is being like a center where having a person that if a student has anxiety, they don't have transportation, um, we have an eighth grader who we think isn't going to school because his mother's being abused by the boyfriend and she doesn't want to leave her there alone, like you, it's everything. Or the, you know, they have mental health issues that we would try to unravel what is the problem here and get that kid back to school. That's just one of the things that we would try to do. Um, when you look at low-income kids, we have the third highest rate that in South Kingstown and the whole state that don't go on to post-secondary education um, within a year of the low-income students. So it's really, the, you know, I think we can do better. It's like 400 students out of 2,600 that really need help and that have been kind of disenfranchised and neglected for the past, their fam the, then talk to the parents and the grandparents and they've all had the same experience. Uh, so we have to do better in, in making them a part of the district and making them successful. And if that means extra resources and extra help, we're gonna provide um, what they call my new favorite term, Orton-Gillingham tutoring to those middle schoolers who can't read past the first grade right now this summer because uh, they haven't had that in the schools. I, I, it's a whole new thing I didn't know about is the difference in how we teach reading now. Um, it's so different than how we learned when we were kids. Yeah. But we don't do that with... But we haven't been doing that with in our district. And so it's a whole uh, issue. There's a, I watched a really fascinating documentary the other night called The Right to Read. I, I forget, and a gentleman said, this reading is the number one civil right 
issue of our day right now because so many kids aren't being given the proper instruction and are falling behind. And if you can't read, I mean, you can't do anything. So um, that's something that we're looking at and trying to address the best way we can. Yeah, it was for me too. But when you have families, I think that's the beauty of the Johnny Cake Center. When people walk through the door and one after another keeps coming and saying, I'm having the same problem, we have to do something. You know, my board's always like, what are we doing? You know, and they're very supportive. But, um, you know, you have to explain just how many people are having a problem and why we're going to spend $100 an hour to tutor kids this summer because we have to. We can't just let kids... Um, go to summer school where they're not going to learn anything because it's the same instruction they've been getting. Uh, and so we're working very closely with URI, which is really, really nice, the School of Education. Um, my neighbor is a professor there. She and I have been cranking on this proposal that we will submit tomorrow, um, asking for $390,000 for after-school and out-of-school programming for South Kingstown. I don't know if we'll get it, and if we do, it'll be a lot of work but we'll count on people in the community who can help us out um, and try to, try to move the needle. Well, I don't do them all. I just tell other people to do them. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we try. You can't ignore, you know, it's hard to ignore um, people who are desperate for help when they come through your door and are begging you to help them. Yeah, the big hug. Well, thank well, you, so you do you. they deserve it. Everybody right. deserves to have some basic stuff. Right, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a rough go right now. I think, again, nobody could have predicted that a pandemic would have resulted in this crazy housing market, right? I mean, who, we're all gonna work at home and well, I can work in Matunic instead of Manhattan, you know, um, and that's just what's happened, and it's, it's been crushing for the families who have been here. And I think that when we had all these families who were getting displaced, we'd be like, okay, what can you afford? You know, and they'd say, $750 a month. They had no idea just how off the rails things had gotten, and so that sticker shock for them was traumatic. You know, and it, it was very hard to find a lot of folks' places to live. So when you want to do, let's say you want to build a new building, uh, low income, what are the steps or what are the barriers that you have to go through? You can't just buy a lot and put up a low-cost building. You have to have some zoning, you have some neighbors. Well, it, it depends. So the, three, the four buildings that we got from Welcome House, one of them is zoned commercial. And they said, you could build 10 apartments on this if you want. I was like, no, my God, we're going to do four. The other two are zoned R10. Uh, and that means we could only have two units on each lot, but we want to do four. So then you have to go for relief for a comprehensive permit. But generally, if it's for affordable housing, the town will let, has, kind of has to let you do it because we're so behind. In theory, yes. And the neighbors will probably scream and yell about it. We actually just, we were going to buy a piece of land tomorrow. Uh, not, it has a house on it, but right near our current building and eventually do that. And there was a deed restriction on the land, the deed, excuse me, that said you can't, you can, you can only put residential housing up, a residential use. And we thought, you know, and they said we can take this off but we thought, if anybody knew about that, that was a neighbor, and we tried to do something different, it'll be just a big fight. And so we decided not to um, purchase that piece of land. When we built our schoolhouse, uh, how many of you have been by that or know where it is or have seen it? Um, I mean, it's really quite magnificent. One, one day I was jogging, and my neighbor rode by in the middle of construction and said, sorry about all those Facebook posts. And I was like, what? what's happening? And she said, the, the, the historic people are screaming about you replacing the windows and putting on fake shingles on the building. And I mean, this 
was like, I have a, still have a hit list of who said what, and I'm never letting them in the building. They, you know, how could they take out the, they wanted us to double pane to keep the old windows that, that like you could feel the air coming through. They were so inefficient, they were so worn out. They wanted us to put storms on either side, which I thought was so unsafe. And then they were all up in arms about the shingles, we're gonna put plastic shingles on. So I just had to let it all play itself out. There were like 300 co comments from all these people about how horrible we were. Um, at the end of the day, the windows look exactly the same and they're energy efficient, but then they all posted, well, isn't it nice that Johnny Cake listened to us and put up the cedar shingles? Well, they are not cedar shingles, they're fake, but they are so nice that you can't tell the difference. But like people get just crazy about these things. Um, and so you, you have to really be prepared for what, you know, what you're gonna face if, uh, if you do something people don't like. And I found it offensive just because I thought, here we are trying to provide a service for this community and you care about the windows? You know, it was just, um, it was annoying. Yeah, and it, this isn't a historic building. It's not on the registry. It's just, you know, it's an old schoolhouse that had been in foreclosure, and anybody could have bought and rest, restored it to their perfection, but nobody had, and no, nobody did. And we spent a million dollars restoring that building, um, and we paid extra for those shingles so they would look nice um, and last forever instead of us having to wash them and stain them every other year because we thought that would be a waste of money. So, yes, Craig. So we, we, sometimes I'm like, what are we paying for? And I'm very liberal in helping people, but like we're really generous when it comes to helping folks if they're in a jam. We'll pay for uh, missed rent, we'll pay for a security deposit or part of it. Um, we'll pay for car repairs. If you need your car to get to work or a doctor's appointment, we'll pay you utility bills. What we wanna see generally is a a notice from your landlord that you're behind and that you're at risk of being evicted, a letter from the, you know, a bill from the utility company that says you're at risk of being shut off, um, a car repair, we wanna see a statement from the mechanic about what it would take. Then we look at people's income and say, okay, you know, what we don't wanna do is just pay out money and the same problem's gonna happen next month. So um, the other reason they might not get it is because we've already done it. We, we will make an exception. We try not to like do this over and over for the same family in a year because we just don't have enough. Um, but that, that it's, it's not that onerous, believe me. Right. The biggest problem we probably face, especially with the housing, is people bury their head in the sand. They, they just they don't want to acknowledge that this is happening, and it, then they come at the worst possible time. We had a mother with three kids living at um, our public housing, and she didn't tell us. We kind of knew there was something going on. She'd already been to eviction court, and, and they found her liable or whatever behind and evicted her. So now she came to us when it was time for an appeal, and we were like, it's too, like it was too late. 
um, and that's what people just can't deal, and so they put the blinders on, and it's not until someone shows up at the door, like the constable saying, get out, that they might come to us, and then it's really, it can be too late, and we're not going to pay if they're not going to be there the next day. I mean, it's unfortunate. We try so hard to tell people, please, you know, come to us when it starts, when the problem that's going to cause this happens, when you lose your job or what have you. But it's, it's amazing. So we, most of our money comes from private donations and grants, the vast majority of it. Not really, no. Uh, my first question that you've answered, what are your sources of funding? And second of all, are you a 501c? Yes. Yeah. And we have a 501c2. C we have a realty corporation that holds all of our housing as well. What? What's your total uh, budget? It's one, we just passed it Tuesday night for the coming year. It's $1.3 million. It used to be 500. When I started, it was 500,000. And truly, most of the money that we've raised and that we're spending is going right into program. We don't have that much of a bigger staff than we had um, seven or eight years ago. They're probably more professional and more highly paid, uh, rightfully so, but most of that money is going directly into summer camp. I mean, we, I just got a bill for $35,000 from Camp Fuller. We're paying them to send kids, uh, a donor's paying that. And we have kids going overnight, we have kids going to day camp. Um, so that, the $95,000 in emergency financial assistance, the tutoring, you know, the food, our food costs are way up. I don't know if you guys spend money on food? No. no. Yes, Becky's saying yes. Our, ours are up significantly. Our egg bill was four times what it was last year. Is that your experience? Yes. And it's, it's hard, and I, the food bank I know doesn't always have great choices, so people come and, you know, they expect they, what the, the, whatever the best we've ever had on any given week, that's what everybody expects every week. Um, so we, we're spending almost $200,000 a year on food right now. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yes, the Episcopal Charities does, has always funded us and is wonderful. And the grants, you know, it's very time consuming. I will tell you I've, this week, um, grant writing and reporting could kill a person. It's, it's, uh, so that's what it's very hard. I can't, my grant writer can't even write some of the grants that I write. You, you know, it's up here. It's things we haven't done yet. And it's just, my, you know, this week it was myself and this professor just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and writing and writing and writing and erasing whole things we wrote. And it's just, it's, um, it's, it's a lot. And then, the, you know, how are you going to measure it? Um, that's the number one question. We're gonna say, how are you going to measure? How are you going to evaluate? How are you going to report? It's like, just trust me, it works. It's, it can't be bad that we're doing this. Right. Right. No, it's tough. So how do you sleep at night? I sleep. <laughs> I drink a couple glasses of wine before I go to bed. <laughs> That's how I sleep. It, you know, I've been doing, I mean, I, people ask me that. I, I, I've been doing this my whole life, and it's, I don't know. I, it doesn't wake Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I think it's worse in a lot of other places, but we do have some really, really tough cases where families are really, really, really hurting. And, you know, kids have been through a lot. Um, just because they're in South Kingstown doesn't mean they haven't been through the ringer. So, is, is my time up? Have you had it? My sister would have left, my sister would have left 40 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I would disagree. I would say, even though I would take your money if you were going to give it to me, I would say keep doing what you're doing with the market.
because that's really, really important. Um, there isn't another one in this area for people to go to. So I, we've never shared our client population. I'm sure at least 40% overlaps with who we serve. Um, so I think just keeping the market well stocked and well, you know, serviced is the most most important thing you can do. Because that helps. It helps us, yeah, and it helps the families we serve. They'd never let people line the sidewalks here. I mean, they just no. wouldn't. Yeah. I, 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 you know. Um, we don't have sidewalks. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had a. I have. In, in the winter's a whole other issue. That's been a nightmare. We've had. We've spent tens of thousands of dollars having people in hotels uh, all winter because there was nowhere to send them. And um, there is a nice grassy lot in Peacedale next to the fire uh, station that I have my eyeball on, should we ever need to create a tent city, it would, it would be the perfect little spot to, to send people. But they just, it, it, that's not gonna happen here. You know, they'll send them to Providence or just force people out. Um, so that's why they're, they're much less um, visible. So we, we, years ago it was once a month, right? And then we, when we moved we said, Come as often as you want. Like we shouldn't be limiting it post-pandemic. We stress to keep food on the shelves that we have now said two times a month. And if you need more, talk to us. Um, now we have our school vacation meals program, so people can come once a week if you have kids and get lots of food: um, eggs, milk, bread, all the fruit, vegetables. And then we have our weekly healthy harvest, which people can come and get fresh produce. So they technically now can come every week for something, um, and if they need it more often, we will uh, allow it. But we were just getting wiped out, you know. And by the end of the day, we had no food on the shelves. And the people that came in at the end of the day were, and, and we had some people who were coming every week. And it was with big families, and it was really um, challenging. Do you guys? You have every week. Right. Which is going to go even sooner. Right. And then you've got to start over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. So I think uh, I'd like to say thank you to Kate. Thank you. But I want to know something. One, one thing that we've been talking about this evening is talking about really a hidden reality in sometimes the poverty. Several years ago, I took a group, a youth group, to a, um, a mission trip to Toronto, um, one of the youth mission groups' programs. And one of the activities they did Mm. And what that was is for them to begin to see over about a two-mile walk the extensiveness of homelessness. That, that's when, because in Toronto during the day, they have to be dispersed. But in the evening, they begin to come. What they saw is what people don't see. They didn't see what they saw were the guns coming to stop by for child prostitution. They saw street people or people living on the streets with uh, homelessness, et cetera, all of a sudden appear. It's like, why were we blind to it? We walk by it, even in this community every day. The poverty in most of our communities is kept as invisible as possible because that's how we want it. And so um, what I appreciate about this evening's conversation is not just the way Johnny can set up our hope and St. Uh, Peter works together in concert with each other to allow those who are invisible within our community to uh, be 
begin to increase their debt and their food insecurity. Now they're housing security the needs of their children. But also, as we've been talking, yes, we have a huge population of homeless people right here in our midst, behind Old Mountain Field. I live in Chest Hill. There are people living in our um, wood behind our house. We know it. And so um, that is truly an indivisible reality here in our community. And it's just so heartening just to be able to say, yes, open your eyes and see what's invisible that we actually look beyond every day we walk. I see it every day when I come through. The people at the parks here in Narragansett, I can guarantee you, uh, they live uh, somewhere camped out somewhere around here. So the problems are very real here in town. We'll never have the answer. But again, Kate uh, and some of the people at Dunning Kids Center, um, what really is wonderful is the development of that wraparound services. And uh, I guess it might be for you to think about too. I mean, the next million dollar raise. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you all so much. <laughs>